someone asked me about if I thought about the end or whatever, and I said, you know, I'm closer to it now than I have been previous years. That's sort of a yogiism. But they took it and ran with it. And then from that point on, I was always fielding those questions. I, I don't know what I'm uh, leaning towards. This may be it this year. It, it may be two years down the road. I mean, for the last seven years, we've been talking about when I was leaving. Something's got to give at some point. Either I decide uh, that enough is enough, or, uh, or they do. It was uh, a tad disappointing to not be, uh, to be able to buddy-buddy with them right away. Um, but that's the, the nature of this league at times. There's, you know, it's, you get older and you realize that they're always trying to replace you. I didn't ask to come out early and to get a standing ovation from the Bears. Um, did that mean I was retiring? I didn't know. I was sort of confused. Like, well, that's what a nice send-off. What am I thinking? Send-off? I'm not, where am I going? Let's go to our little life out here. What the hell's going on out here? It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host, that's DDD NFL on Twitter. And of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And perception is a funny old thing, isn't it? There's the sound bites. Uh, that was when Brett Favre was on his way out and then he was on his way back in again. And in, out, and in, out. And he shook it all about. Uh, that got him into trouble. So, look, you know, there's an awful lot in the news about Rodgers. And I said I was going to stay away from it, and I largely am. But it's some of the analysis that I see around the whole Rodgers departure thing that's kind of getting on me bleeding, Wick. But before I get there, I want to congratulate everybody who signed up for Patreon on the Lambo tier or the Gold tier. Uh, because you're both eligible to get into that Lambo draw. Uh, to win an all-expenses-paid trip to Lambeau Field. Now, again, I was speaking to a couple of people about it, and they were saying, look, Steve, it's a really nice thing you've done. And I said, well, you know, it's a, it's a dream. Yeah, it's a dream that I always... I have a sort of a, a dream board up on my wall here about stuff that I want to achieve and all that, and that was one of them. Now, I wasn't planning on doing it for another couple of years, but you know what? I'm impulsive, and I said, you only live once, let's go for it. That said... If I don't raise enough money, I have to sell the house and the motorbike and the, we're, we're um, you know, I've got to kick the kids out onto the street. I mean, all I'm saying is, is that if you want to get in on it, it would be very much appreciated because, again, it's not sponsored. Um, we're going over with Touchdown Trips. They're not giving me a free trip. Uh, we're paying for it. And the reason, the how I'm doing it is, is patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. And I'm doing exactly what it says in the tin. Get onto the Lambo tier. It's a five or a month and you could be coming over to Green Bay. Um, so dive on it I would say dive on it because it helps me um, but also for every month that you're in the Patreon is constitutes one entry to the draw so the earlier you're in uh, the more chances you have to win that all expenses paid trip to Green Bay so everything's paid for transfers, flights, hotel game tickets and again it isn't sponsored I'm not getting it for free and we are paying for it but anyway I digress. Look, I want to talk about the Aaron Rodgers scenario. You know what? It's not even... So what's the narrative? The narrative is Nathaniel Hackett goes to X team and then Rodgers follows him because he's such a good pal. Listen, Rodgers is friends with people, but I think he um, he's not that good friends that he gets along with someone and then all of a sudden he's going to follow them somewhere. I don't think that's his style. And he even said it himself. Look, Nathaniel Hackett might be gone to the Jets. 
but that doesn't mean he's going to the Jets. There is the Jets likely, yes and no, and we'll get into it a little bit. I'm not going to wax too lyrical about it because it's incredibly boring. Uh, but one of the narratives that I saw out there was, is, um, you know, when do we trade Rodgers? Uh, you know, if the fans are going to be apoplectic if they trade him now or they don't trade him now, or you know, the Packers are looking at it. Move my mic around there. The Packers are looking at it and they're they're thinking, you know, what would they get the less slack and flack, you know, from the fans about? Let me just put this, and I mean this in every respectful way, and not in sort of a shady way about the organization at all. The the organization can't care less. They do not care at all if the fans are upset or they're not upset. They absolutely don't care. Um, It has no bearing on it. They don't log into Twitter and wonder what we're saying about it. Ultimately, they, they're they employed to do a job and obviously they think they're very good at that job. More than likely, and this might come as a shock, they're better than us. Um, And they're going to make decisions for the organisation and the fans will follow if they're right and they believe they're right. Now, I don't know if that's the case with the organization. We've seen many missteps in the past. Um, we saw, you know, you can watch all these documentaries on that Favre departure. And one of the gripes that the fans had was that the organization really didn't care what the fans were saying. And there was guys who come up with this petition to bring Brett Favre back. That's not how it works. There's an awful lot going on behind the scenes that we have absolutely no idea about. So this narrative as well that like, oh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't even know what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. The organization, we're just waiting to see what he's going to say. They have a pretty good idea what he's going to say. Also to that, they're not going to sit back and let him dictate to a large degree. Because I, I saw a comment today about, you know, here's Rodgers again holding the team hostage. um, And it's like, they're big boys. They've got themselves into the situation as well. They gave Rodgers that massive contract. Um, and Matt had a scout on and he was talking to him about the contract and he was saying it's bizarre. the contract's bizarre you know the dead money that you keep pushing down the line gets bigger as the contract gets older and usually it's the opposite way around um, so people are sort of surmising with that too you look at the scenario and you say oh what about the salary cap and if they do it now well, then they have to do it now look they're all saying they weren't going to bring Rodgers back that the cap just couldn't handle it and then they got it done so here's point number two for me, is that the organization, to a large extent, really don't care what the cap is or how it's impacted or how long they're going to... They're just going to get it done because Russ Ball has it all in hand. He's probably got a really swanky looking spreadsheet with many different cell colors and he's going to get it done. It's like when you're playing fantasy football. Now, an awful lot of people will be shouting at the radio now saying that's all nonsense. From all I've seen of this like that was the other narrative was that oh well we don't even know what the what the cap number was that's what Kudukuns was saying they haven't told us yet they're dragging their feet look the people out there on Twitter were saying what it would be there's other people coming out with outlandish stuff but the lads who were in the know about the salary cap were coming out and saying it's going to be X million and if you really think that you don't have your finger on the pulse here I can't get from one end of an office to the next without hearing that Mary or Jonathan has done something or there's rumours for whatever. So if you really think that something that's going to impact roster decisions isn't going to be well predicted and they have it planned out in the meantime. But look, you're playing fantasy football. I'm talking about fantasy football, soccer. Uh, fantasy. Let's call it fantasy soccer from now on. And you're playing that and you've got the 100 million to buy certain players. Like, who out there goes and selects it to bring it in under... You spend what you have. Councils, they get a budget and they put up... Um, 
speed limit signs at the end of my cul-de-sac road. Um, complete waste of time. But you go to what it, it is allowed. And that's all the Packers are going to do. All they want to do is win. Because you either win or you don't win. There's no sort of murky in between. And anybody who thinks like, oh, you know, let's suck a little bit more so we can get this player. It's never guaranteed to work out. And in fact, you know, with the whole, I've put together history podcasts in the background because I got some great feedback on the Vince Lombardi one. But when you look into the past, you know, the John Hadels and, you know, mortgaging the franchise with picks and most of the time it doesn't really matter. Uh, it was funny that I heard the Bengals coach come out and he was talking about, uh, you know, or was it the Bengals coach? It was someone saying, "Lo, you don't want to. I don't want to be. Yeah, it was the Bengals. I don't want to be in their position to to have all the players that they have because that means that you have to be a sucky team." Completely ignoring the fact that they got in Chase and they got in Burrow because they were a sucky team, you know, Kettle and all that kind of stuff. So to me, you know, all its considerations. A lot of fans are going to be upset. The organization couldn't give two hoots about it. And not in a disrespectful way, but like, what are they going to do? Go by, oh, we better do it now or people will get cross. Um, because it's the same as calling a play call. You know, like look at Mike McCarthy's last call with Zeke being the only lineman who's going to snap the ball back and he gets steamrolled and he looks like an idiot. And then you look at it and go, okay, that worked in practice, obviously. And he was kind of embarrassed. He didn't want to talk about it. And if then that works out, he looks like a genius. They make these calls all the time and you're either a hero or a villain. Um, and that's the way the, the team are going to go on with, you know, they bring Rodgers back and it doesn't make sense for the cap and blah, blah, blah. But Rodgers has said himself he's not going to come back in that 60 million figure. Um, but that's why I say they don't really care what the cap is. They're going to shove it all underneath the cap, shove the money down the road. And no team will ever admit, even a team that is blatantly in rebuilding mode, that they're in rebuilding mode. Um, but a team that's community owned, like the Packers, what we've seen in the past is is that they're very savvy with the cap. Russ Ball, you know, has always floated into conversations about taking over as president because of what he's done for the team. So I think when you look at the way the contract, when you look at the way my savings account is set up, the check-ins and the savings, when you look at the salary cap and the, the impact on the team and how Roger's contract gets more expensive as it goes down the line, I just, it makes sense. Of course it makes sense to trade him. And I think we're missing the point, which is why I'm saying perception is a funny thing. Um, because Tom Brady retired and the narrative is, and I put out a tweet, you know, Tom Brady retires and then Aaron Rodgers says, and it's that Wolf of Wall Street, I'm not leaving thing. You know, the perception is, and maybe it's right or wrong, we, we simply don't know, but the perception is, is that Brady retires again. And apparently he's got some massive whopper, you know, multi hundreds of million deals set up with some broadcaster to broadcast, right? Is that Rogers is not going to retire because he doesn't want to be in the same first ballot Hall of Fame class as Tom Brady. And I see two sides. Someone saying, oh, it's such a millennial thing to say. You know, oh, that's such a lot of balls. Um, and you look at Rogers and you sort of think, like, would he care about it? You know, this is a guy who I've... Here's a guy. Um, who I've heard analysis that, you know, if he retires, he'll leave 59 million uh, on the desk and walk away. But for him, he's earned about 300 million so far with his NFL career, not counting in scholarships and... Scholarships, Jesus. He got a scholarship, did you know? Uh, you know, sponsorships and all that kind of jazz. So does he really need the money and a normal person would not retire and, and keep that money? The only thing that's set for the Packers organization is the fact that 
age catches up with everybody. And like I played that soundbite of Rogers during the whole Favre thing, is that, you know, they're always trying to replace you. So until Rogers leaves or his contract massively outweighs what he's able to physically do, mentally do, and his attitude and all this, once all of that starts to outweigh the cost and they absolutely have no choice but to move on, well, then I think they will move on. But here's something that I want to kind of ponder. Is now, I, look, I, my feelings, I've, I've made them known. Uh, you know, I keep saying that every podcast and then don't state my feelings. But if you know, you know um, about the story with Aaron Rodgers, right? But let me just put it this way. If you had, is Jordan Love, get straight to the point, is Jordan Love as backup? Kind of... M- making this water murky here because if you look at it on the face of it right and i know i've been through the storyline before that he threw mccarthy under the bus and his attitude was seemingly a problem and the offense wasn't going to work unless he was ad-libbing and then lafleur comes in and apparently sorts all of that out rogers wins two back-to-back he wins back-to-back mvps so i'm just wondering right he had a down year this year that's for sure uh, his throws were underthrown or inaccurate at times other times were absolutely on the money now, he had uh, rib injuries and he also had a broken finger. So you look at that and go, that, that is impactful. We can pretend it isn't, but it is. Um, and I'd say that for Joe Barry. So Joe Barry struggled and he has all the players and I'll get on to Jerry Gray in a minute. But he was without Rasha and Gary. And you're like, oh, well, overblown. Overblown. Well, you know, that's one player, but sometimes that's all it takes. Zadarius Smith was a one-person wrecking ball when he was in Green Bay before the injury and then he fell off and then he went to the Vikings and became a one-person wrecking ball before he fell off during the season. But that was one of his criticisms was that he was inconsistent. But I digress. So let's have a look at it. Brady retired and he's 45. Rogers is coming up on 40 and he's still capable in his late 30s of winning a back-to-back MVP award. If we didn't have Rogers' successor in the building, and all of this will she, won't she drama stuff, then would it be such a surprise if the Packers tried to keep Rodgers around? And Rodgers was interested in, like he's always said, finishing his time out in Green Bay. Um, I think an awful lot of the quirky stuff that's gone on and the drama and the comments and the you know nonsense that's happened over this time and all of the history, we cannot discount the history of diva-ism um, you know not getting on with coaches and all that kind of jazz so we can't forget about that and we can't forget the standoff that the organisation had with Rodgers and why they went to draft Jordan Love in the first place because of Rodgers' injury history which is you know kind of reared its head again in the sense that he broke his finger and the whole thing went down but anyway if we were to remove Jordan Love from the situation and there wasn't a successor I think that we would probably be looking at this whole situation differently. And that's what I mean by perception is a really funny thing, you know. But the one thing that I would sort of question is, is that Rodgers is nearing his shelf life. The whether it, the Because the thing is, is it makes sense for the Packers to trade him to try to get a King's ransom. And this is a phrase that has been uttered, uttered, um, so Irish, a, a couple of years ago was that, you know, when Rogers, the news broke of apparently Rogers went out to his agent and crafted up some crafty scheme uh, to dump all over uh, the draft and bring out some sort of trade rumors, which we were subsequently told was a load of nonsense. Um, but he has a shelf life and it is coming up. 
And if the Packers are willing to move on and they want to get the King's ransom because he gets very expensive as time goes on if you ignore some sort of a rejig of a contract um, and they want to play Jordan Love. But if, you know, you know there's a problem soon, right? I mean, we can pretend that Aaron Rodgers leaving and they can adapt and all that kind of stuff. But you saw what happened when Devontae Adams left and Nathaniel Hackett left and just the impact that that had on this team. Now, it was injuries, it was drops, it was inaccuracy, it was coaching, it was poor decisions. A lot of this came into focus. But if Rodgers is going, and it's not this year and it's not next year, let's pretend you know they grow a money tree uh, out in Lambeau Field with those grow lights and synthetic grass. The likelihood is, is that the offense is, is definitely not going to remain the same for sure. And you would make an educated guess that it would become worse and not better. But at least it's not going to be the same. And there's probably more scope for it being worse. So if you've lost the Hall of Famer wide receiver like Adams, um, and then to mitigate that, there were certain things that the Packers could have done, like they could have thrown to Aaron Jones more and hit the running backs and leaked out of the backfield and trust the young wide receivers earlier. You would ask yourself, are the Packers and the coaching staff capable of dealing with the post-Rogers era? Um, and can the coaching staff adjust? Because we kind of got a flavor of it that we still had Aaron Rodgers. Um, he didn't have the tools that he needs. And again, he's seen it all, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I agree. And he was injured and we missed the playoffs. So the first time that Aaron Rodgers picks up that injury, we miss the playoffs, which is understandable. And it's not an Aaron Rodgers thing. It's a quarterback thing. But then you look at the Niners and you saw what they did with Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. So with the change that we saw on Tay and Hackett, which at least contributed to the lack of production on offense, along with the injuries, then it's a massive area of concern when your Hall of Fame quarterback is removed from the equation. And we need to compensate for that elsewhere, which the only other place you can look at is special teams in which Basach is potentially or if not definitely gone. And the only other place to look at then is defense. You need your defense to hold you up. And I've talked about it till I'm blue in the face. You look at that Broncos team and the Broncos Super Bowl win. So would you ask yourself, why is Joe Barry still around? Now, I don't mean that in some way of like, oh, suck Joe Barry, he's the only problem. I, I don't think that's the case. But it's a question for Matt LaFleur to answer is that there is a real urgency now to try compensate for that massive change on offense. Because again, whether it's this year, next year, the year after, and maybe it goes swimmingly well, but you cannot take the risk because we saw what happened to the offense when you take out a few key pieces. So you need the defense shored up in order to weather the storm from that offensive shuffle. And you're sticking with the staff, you know, and does that make sense or does it not make sense? And that again comes down to perception because... We saw what happened to the offense when too much changed. You know, he changed it on special teams. He changed Hackett. He changed some coaches and elevate them. The O-line coach changes. There's injuries on the O-line. Aaron Rodgers gets injured. There's a lot of changing parts there. So is LaFleur's rationale, we're going to keep Joe Barry around because he believes in him? Is he keeping him around because if there is a change at quarterback... Um, well, then they don't want to change into Jordan Love and then have a new defensive coordinator to come in and then they have to switch over because there's stats out there that show that a new coordinator that comes in is about a two-year lead-in period to where you start to turn stuff around. 
Now, Domofsky came out and remarked on Jerry Gray to say that he let his contract run out and he distanced himself from the Joe Barrys at the very end, which is a massive warning sign. So you look at Jerry Gray and when he came in, you know, just this exceptional talent and all that kind of stuff. But what do we know about Jerry Gray? So we know he's allegedly an exceptional man-manager, uh, that doesn't seem to be disputed, who developed top talent. However, if you remember when he first came to Green Bay, his philosophy was that he wanted guys to come to him and really want to be better players. And we heard that he wasn't that sort of vocal, rah-rah guy until a game late last year when he had a, give a locker room bollocking and lashed the guys out of it and they said they were so shocked by it that they went out in the second half and start playing. So we can point the finger at Joe Barry, but can we also legitimately question that had Jerry Gray been stronger with the guys and taken on a different coaching style, would he have been more successful? Did Gray's management style stop being effective in Green Bay? Because what did we hear Jair Alexander say and when they were going through those struggles? during the season he was saying that you know he couldn't understand how guys were laughing and having fun in the locker room and they were losing and he wanted to be people more locked in that it was too casual that he was bummed out about it you know and then we saw that the response that they gave to Jerry Gray's bollock and maybe that only works because he doesn't do it and then when he does do it but let's not kid ourselves the defensive backs were inconsistent and as much as they like to say there was accountability there and they wanted to be better and all this type of stuff, it didn't seem that way because we've seen Jair Alexander get burned a lot last year. Um, you know, there was other defensive backs and safeties that got benched, for God's sake. And you can lay that all down at Joe Barry, but Jerry Gray also has to do his role. Now, I'm not pulling into question Jerry Gray's integrity and how good he is and how much knowledge he brings to the game. But sometimes certain things are not suited to certain situations. And maybe it was that lack of adaptability from everybody on the coaching staff to try to get the most out of these players. Because again, we had a top 10 defense on paper until the, the season swung around. And that's what I mean by perception's a hell of a thing. You look at it and you go, oh, well, Jerry Gray said he was distanced, but he didn't want to have to do with Joe Barry, which doesn't look good. I mean, because again, it's Joe Barry's job to bring him on side, you know, and if he doesn't do it, well, then that's a failing on his part and it's the communication issue and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's that perception, isn't it? So is he keeping him around because he just can't afford to make a change for too much turmoil? Is he keeping him around because he believes in him? Because again, there's a narrative out there that LaFleur kind of threw Jerry a grey under the bus and, and sided with his buddy is how they're putting it. But... You know, who knows? And on that exact conversation of perception, Jason Wildey put out a tweet about Sean Payton, who got traded, amazingly, by uh, the Saints for first-round picks to the Broncos. And he put up a picture of Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy. Sean Payton is on the left of the picture, and he says, the guy on the left is 161 to 97 all-time, including playoffs, with nine playoff appearances and one Super Bowl appearance and one NFL championship. The guy on the right, which is McCarthy, is 166, so five games more, 107-2, and two, with 11 playoff berths. That's two more than Sean Payton and one Super Bowl appearance and one NFL title. And he says perception. 
is a funny thing. And it really is a funny thing. And when you look at it, and that always used to sort of baffle me too. It's like, how come McCarthy and Rogers and the Packers are under so much heat? Is it because of the expectation of Titletown? And then you look at Sean Payton and what he did and what he didn't do more so than anything else. And I don't think, it was really bizarre. Like, I mean, Drew Brees is the most passing yards ever. And, you know, all these stats that he had, he was diminutive and the stuff he was able to do. Just an absolutely fantastic all-around player. First ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so you look at him and then you look at Rodgers, who's meant to be naturally gifted and we're wasting his. I just didn't understand how you don't look at Drew Brees like that. I go, you're, you're wasting his career window. But Rodgers is, you know, there was a massive disconnect there. But while their stats are comparable between Sean Payton and McCarthy. I think it comes down to a couple of things with me with McCarthy. Now, I really like Mike McCarthy. And I think he got sort of given a raw deal in Green Bay. Um, Certainly by the perception of him is a bit off. However, it was McCarthy's open willingness not to embrace technology or analytics that kind of gave him a kick in the arse. And if you remember when he got turfed out, and also he got turfed out during a season by the Packers before it had even ended which was very unpacker like by the Green Bay Packers and when you look at it it's sort of you know it states intent that you don't wait till Black Monday after the season is over to do it and all this and Joe Philbin came in to sort of act as relief but it was still very unpacker like and that's another thing if you look at Sean Payton and you look at Mike McCarthy was Sean Payton turfed out on his ear you know in into a season no he wasn't but when McCarthy was out for that year there was this, who was it again? There was someone on NFL Network um, went to McCarthy and they had him sitting in some dingy looking basement with books everywhere like he was some sort of mad hatter and he was going on about how he's embracing technology now and he kind of went on this sort of media drive. Um, and you know that's not so, that's the perception too is that here's a guy who was seen as a bit of a dinosaur and now he's admitting like, oh, I never really cared. And then you'd look at what happened in some of the games where he'd act ultra conservative um, and they'd look at these decisions and go, what the hell are you doing? Um, and then you look at the NFC Championship game and the crumble to Seattle, which is one of the worst losses in sports history until that Super Bowl capitulation uh, by the Atlanta Falcons. That was right up there in any sport being one of the worst collapses ever. I always equate it to like a plane crash where... You literally need about 15 things to go wrong. And that's exactly what happened in the game. It goes back to the conservative play calling, the kicking of field goals, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But then the play calling in the second half. And it's that famous collapse that gets placed at McCarthy's feet that you just can't shake off. Look at the famous collapse this year with the insane play against um, with Dallas in the playoffs. And, you know, Zeke gets steamrolled and Dak Prescott throws it to a guy who gets drilled after about eight yards and it just really didn't get going. So much so that it's seen as embarrassing. It's not just a bad, bizarre play call that people come out on Twitter and was like, is the guy lost? Like, what what the hell is going on? And players are coming out saying that's the most bizarre play I've ever seen. You know, but it's those bizarre decisions on third and fourth down and third and short and fourth and short and... You know, like we had a meme that was like, oh, it's third and one. What are we going to do? And then underneath to say, Hail Mary. You know, like, and then you look at McCarthy and say, was he, you look at his quarterback relationship with, with Sean Payton. Was Sean Payton ever thrown under the bus by his quarterback? And A-Rod famously threw him under the bus. He stopped listening to his play calls. Martellus Bennett and Mercedes Lewis were saying that Rodgers was rolling his eyes when play calls would come in. 
He was banging the balls up into the stands. And then after the Buffalo game, he came out publicly and said the game plan is trash, basically, and see ya. And then McCarthy was out the door. Um, if you look at McCarthy's first year in Dallas, he was already on the hot seat. I was on the radio of a Saturday saying, look, he's already on the hot seat. You know, there's rumours that coaches and players are saying they're not going to play for him and they don't want to listen to him. And I think that's the reason why the perception is different. And I think if you just blindly look at the stats and McCarthy's more wins and they've the same amount of championships and all that kind of stuff, you look at that on its own and go, oh, God, you just don't understand it. But I think all things considered, and certainly us as Packer fans in Green Bay, you can look at it and go, oh, I get it now. I, I understand. And it was only when I sort of looked at it and went, yeah, why? why? And then I delved into it and thought, you know what? There is a difference. Not to mention that Sean Payton became an analyst after. And then I think when you get into teaching or you get into analysis, so then people just assume, which he does, that you're in that sort of higher plane that you can tell people what to do. That's how, uh, you know, John Gruden got back into the game on that 10-year, 100 million quid contract. Is because here he was doing his Gruden's quarterback camp and he's asking all these analytical questions, staying in touch with the game, you know. There was this perception that because he was able to sit back and analyse every team that he knew what was going on. And you're going to get the same nonsense with Sean Payton as well. You know, they're going to go on that he's some sort of guru now that he's studied everybody and he's figured it all out. Um, And I don't think it's that easy. But that's the reason the perception is different. But anyway, perception is a funny thing, but it, needless to say, we're going to have to wait a month anyway before Rodgers will make a decision. And all of the stuff about he doesn't know what he's doing yet and the Packers, they do. And I think they're probably shopping around to see what a trade would look like for Aaron Rodgers. But it would not surprise me, despite the massive speculation by looking at contracts and comments and salary caps, that he's, he should be gone. Based on money alone, he should be gone. It doesn't. I put it down to the Packers that they bring him back. And they figure out whatever they need to in the back of it all. That's not for us to worry about. But it it sort of reeks of he's he's coming back. And not because of the Tom Brady Hall of Fame thing, although it's a hilarious storyline. I just think it's very it's a very Packer thing to do. Um, especially as of late. Maybe it's a good thing though. You know, I'm not necessarily saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm not saying he's over the hill. Um, but it's one of those things where the contract seems like a bit of a head scratcher. So there has to be a reason for it. Um, and similarly, you know, if they bring him back, it's they're either it's either inspired or it's a massive mistake. But only time will tell. Keeps it exciting, eh? But anyway, I'm going to keep up the uh, history stuff as well because I think there's some great stories in there. I, I put out a story about uh, Bobby Dylan, who is the leading interceptionist. Interceptionist, what a great job title um, for the Packers way back when. And uh, he had a glass eye. Uh, he had an accident. I believe it was on a, a railway track. I think he got some sort of a wood or something jammed into his eye or was it a workshop? Um, so he had a glass eye. So it's insane that he had eight interceptions a season for like three seasons um, in a row and he had a glass eye and he was playing a game in Milwaukee and the glass eye popped out and one of the referees said, hey, Bobby, what would you do if you lost the other eye? And he said, ah, I'd become an official. So it's just the sharp, razor sharp wit. Amazing. So I'm delving into all things history and I'll try sprinkle that in with some current affairs as well because I know history isn't everybody's cup of tea. Um, so I'll try keep it interesting. Anyway, if you want to come to Lambeau Field with us, join patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. And until next week, I've been at Steady DNFL. I will still be at Steady DNFL. Stay tuned to all the socials because we're keeping it going, baby. Go Pack Go.